0: Page um, 974 in the Green Bible. <laughs> Page 974. A couple of leaflets on, on your way out, just while you're finding that. There's um, a leaflet advertising Connors' album launch. Um, and uh, that's a leaflet on the uh, table <coughs> there on, on Friday the 11th of October. Uh, and then just further out in the, in the kind of hallway there is a map of our local community. And uh, a whole load of these invites that we would love to deliver to every single church, every single house in the parish. Uh, so if you could take a bundle, particularly if you live on one of those streets or near them, take a bundle. I always find, when we've done this in the past, it takes much less time than you think. You've got this thick bunny, and, oh my goodness, it three days. And 20 minutes later, I've done it. Just, it's just in post, in post, in post. Ignore the signs that say junk, no junk mail. Quite a lot of people have that. This is not junk. <laughs> This is not this is gold dust and the invitation to come into your local church is what we say and come and see what we've done. So do just stick that through if you can, it'd be a great, great help. What what oh yeah, I, I could um, come um, So, we're page 974 and uh, this is Luke chapter five. I'm gonna read the first eleven verses. <clears throat> One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Um, if you've been here a little while, like I mean, not in the last hour or so, but uh, for a few years, I've, I've, I've. on this passage before and I kind of return to it without any apology because I think there's so much in this Um, and I want to put out a few thoughts as we consider Alpha um, Lydia mentioned Alpha Sunday and uh, yeah we're we're beginning now you see the leaflets on the the seats um, encouraging prayer for people who don't yet know the Lord and I'll come on to them in a minute minute. but we're just now entering a a season where we're thinking about our Alpha course uh, starts Alpha course is starting all over the world I think it's been translated, the Alpha Course, into well over a hundred different languages. It runs on pretty much every continent in, in well, Loads in this city alone. Um, and our course starts on Wednesday, the 16th of October, so um, two and a half weeks' time. Uh, so thinking about that, and I wanted to just to put out a few thoughts from this, this little episode, this encounter here uh, on the lakeside. This miracle, this great catch of fish, and to draw out some strands to, I hope, inspire us and and challenge us to think afresh about Jesus. Um, Not all the paraphernalia and the gubbins around following Jesus, churchy stuff, religion. Um, Kind of to put that to one side as best we can um, and to focus on on Jesus. Because he focuses on us. I think that's the first thing. Um, Do you notice he he was standing by the lake speaking people, and um, so he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a roof from shore and he sat and taught the people. What that tells me is that uh, I actually did a, when I was at college I did a uh, a sort of tour of the Holy Land Um, and um, they actually demonstrated this. We went down to the lake side and there was this kind of bay, um, a little inlet and we were a relatively small group of, I don't know, 20, 30 people. But they had a little boat there, and so the, the guide pushed out, He was about sort of, 10, 20 feet from the shore, and he just he just spoken very, he didn't really project his voice, and yet because of the sound carries across the water, we could hear him really clearly. And uh, the inference here is actually, there were so many people, there was such a you know, the crowd, people crowding round, Luke tells us. Um, there were lots of people that actually, maybe as he stood on the shore, people couldn't hear Jesus, so he, he makes the most of um, the natural effects all of that to say that Jesus is addressing lots of people lots of people and we think about ourselves and we think well I'm just you know little old me uh, and there's lots of people Jesus is probably going to be far more concerned with all the others um, he, he wouldn't spot me he doesn't you really know why am I kind of thinking I, I'm not really noticed at work I don't really know me in the community I am not even many people know me in this church I just come in Man. And I note that, verse 4, he finishes speaking to the crowds and he turns to Simon Simon Peter, who owns one of the boats. Here's the sort of first reflection. I think there will come a time, I'm sure many of us in this room have all recognised this, maybe on a number of occasions, but maybe, maybe this is new to you, that there will come a time when this, this God in Jesus Christ talks to the masses, will turn and talk to you. He sees you, <coughs> and he'll he'll speak to you. He'll speak to you, not, not, a, not a general word, as we come on, not as a you know sort of a soundbite word. or a tweet, sort of sent out into the Twitter sphere. A particular word, because he sees you, knows you, loves you, knows your context and your circumstances, knows your heart and your mind, and he'll speak to you. So my first challenge is, do you believe that? I think sometimes we can kind of la di da our way through life, and la di da our way through religion. Oh, we're going to church and sing a few songs, and someone will say some things from the Bible, and then there'll be coffee, and off I go. And we kind of, you know, it is da-dee-da-dee-da. Are you sitting here this morning with a confident expectation that Jesus sees you, knows you, loves you, even likes you, and has a word for you? What's a message for you? He wants to say something to you. And really often, verse 4, second part, really often what Jesus will say. Is not that extraordinary. <laughs> Only one sense of Christian faith is extraordinary, but it's kind of extraordinary within everyday life, within the normality of our everyday lives. Here's Jesus saying to a fisherman, "Let's go fishing." That's not hard. I mean, literally, that's not rocket science. It's <laughs> not. Hard. He's just asking Peter to do what he does put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. And and this is where it begins to get interesting. We may have missed it in the reading and because we're not maybe massively familiar, we're not um, Middle Eastern fishermen. So I've done a little bit of research, read the commentaries, and, and this is why it begins to stand out to me. Here are these fishermen washing their nets. Aren't fishermen meant to fish with nets? Why are they washing their nets? Well, because they've been out at night. It's the daytime and they were fishing at night. Why were they fishing at night? So, the experts tell us that what the fish do is they go out into deep water at night. And fishermen know that you, you go out into deep water at night and that's where you're likely to find the fish. Now, we know, just jumping ahead uh, from um, verse 5, Simon's response, that they've been out that night and they haven't caught anything. It, it, and I think we just chalk that up to you know, some days are like that. Like sometimes you go, you fish, you get a lot. Other days you go where you know the fish are and they're just not biting or they're not jumping in the net or whatever. Oh, well, there we go. It's just one of those days. You win some, you lose some. And it's daytime. And so let's get the nets out. Let's mend them, wash them. We'll probably you know, slack off early, have a bit of a kit, and try again this evening. That's, the kind, that's what's going on. And Jesus says, do you notice? Um, sorry, I should have said the, that's right, the fish, they go out during the deep at night and then they come and feed in the shallows during the day because in, in the shallow water the, the light of the sun refracts through the water so the fish can see a little um, tasty bits to eat so too shallow you can't get a boat in there you can't drop nets in the shallows that's why you go to the deep you go, you go where they will be at night so when when Jesus says let's go fishing it's not quite as straightforward as that because do you notice what he says verse 4 this is to Peter It goes to Peter and he comes into his world of familiarity and he says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now Simon Peter is kind of one of these guys we, we recognize. He doesn't sort of suffer fools too gladly. You know, he's this, and Simon Peter is a fisherman. He knows about fishing. He knows about the lake. He knows when the best time to go deep and when don't bother going shallow and all of that. And Jesus was described, what, what do we know about Jesus uh, livelihood, if we if, if you know anything at all. He was the son of a carpenter. Yeah, so and carpenters don't use, they're usually on land, aren't they? Thank you for my carpentry skills and knowledge extend that far. So here's a landlubber who knows all about wood and joinery, who knows nothing about fish, telling a fisherman, an expert in his work, what to do. And not only that, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. So put out into deep water during the day. No. Look, we went to deep water at night and we didn't catch anything. Now you're telling us to go to the place where we know they won't be during the day and to put out deep water. What a waste of time. And and here's the thing. Here's the thing about living for Jesus. This is the wrestle. Will you go with your wisdom and your experience of what you know best about your place of familiarity, your place of work, your business, how you raise your kids, how it is in your family, in your context. Will you go with what you think you know, expert as you are? Or will you pay attention to that voice, that little, often it's just a tiny, it's an idea, it's a, it's a tiny thing in the mind, it's just, just sort of there, like a sort of itch. And it's different. It's countercultural. It's not what you were expecting. It kind of challenges your status quo. It, it says, what about this or that? Why don't you this or that? It'll challenge you. It'll irk you. Will you go with it? Will you go with what might be the voice of God to you? Even though it sounds ridiculous. We, it's difficult to read tone maybe I mean, I should, maybe we act this out a little bit more because we can read again we can do this for scripture a bit we sort of read away from scripture oh, that's a nice story um, and, and there's there's kind of grit here Simon Peter he's tired he's been out all night Fishy, he's tired he's done a night shift and here's Jesus saying right go and do it again huh and verse 5 Simon answered you see that word master that denotes doesn't it respect yeah I respect you Master, <laughs> I mean, I mean, how do you think he was actually really saying that? I think it's was some gritted teeth. Master, A.K.A. You idiot. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything because we know about fishing. You don't. Here's the key word. So often the key word in a sentence of scripture. But. But. Jesus, you may be talking to me or challenging me or encouraging me into this path or this next step. And I think I know, I think I know what's best for me. And you're encouraging me to do something that I may haven't thought of, or I think is ridiculous, or I think it's stupid, or I think it won't work. But, but because you say so, I'll let down. I wonder where life transformation for Simon Peter first occurred. And I wonder when it was when he said that. When effectively he said, even though I think I know what's best, and even though I have a feeling you don't, nevertheless, but because you say so, I'll do what you say. Are there times that, can you think in the recent past, maybe even now, where you're 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 wrestling with something that life has thrown up? Might be at school, at work, at home, relationships, business deals, uh, how we use our resources, our time, our money, and you're wrestling. And you have a hunch that God might be saying this. And your initial reaction is no way. But in the very ordinary stuff of doing your bank accounts or your place of work or the very ordinary stuff, the very familiar stuff, could could this be a point of revelation and transformation for you? We know the story. They let down the nest. And unbelievable! They get such a big catch of fish that the nets begin to break. They need help from the others to pull it all. There's so much fish. Six months' worth of business in one day. The miracle I would want to suggest is not the huge catch of fish. It's not that there were so many. That's not the miracle. This is Jesus is the Lord of everything. We go on to see. He just says, "Wind, be quiet. Sea, be still." Even the wind and the waves obey him. He's Lord of all creation. We sing a song about that. Just making a few fish jump into a net—that's nothing. That's not the miracle, because we're all coming up. The miracle is what the huge catch of fish reveals to Simon Peter. just—it's just, in verse eight. But, but just—I mean, so you're running a business. I mean, he's fishing, that's how he makes his life. He's running a business, it's, it's profit and loss. But here, the bottom line is always important. He's had a bad day. So the lines, the graphs are going in the wrong direction. And now this guy comes along and there's a massive patch which is a graph or something going sway up there. I mean, wouldn't you want this guy around your business? I mean, it's quite a good omen. <laughs> wouldn't you? I mean, your first response is, Jesus, come on board. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll promote you, we'll make you, you know, Chief Fisherman. Verse eight, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: go away from me, Lord. Ah, oh, here we are. Because remember he was master, kind of earthly title, now, ah. Uh, The the scales are beginning to drop from my eyes. I'm beginning to see who you really are. This catch of fish is revealing to me that you're not just a carpenter who knows a bit about fishing, acting on a hunch. You're Lord. You are Lord. I am a sinful man, Peter says. There's two revelations. Jesus is Lord. And because of Jesus, the exact representation of God on earth in human form in all his purity and holiness, Peter suddenly realises as he just becomes aware of his own shortcomings and short thoughts, I'm a, a sinner. That's who you are and this is who I am. That's, that's beautiful. In Gospel terms, in Christian terms, this is beautiful. When an individual recognises that Jesus is Lord, not just a good teacher or one of a number of gurus who happen to live, on this earth and came out with some good stuff but then lots of people like him. No, when you see the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, no one else has claimed indirectly to be God in human form. No God has come and allowed himself to be crucified at the hands of the people he made. No person has been dead and buried and raised a brand new life in the way that Jesus is. He's unique. We explore all this on Alpha give people an opportunity to really kick the tires, check this out, really, is this true? Can I believe in this guy, Jesus? And when someone sees who Jesus truly is and recognizes by way of contrast where we are, sinners, cut off from God, separated from him by our, basically by making ourselves king of our lives, lord of our lives. Someone once pointed out that sin is a tiny word with I at the centre. It's, it's a me-referenced life. And God is longing for us to see that our lives make most sense when we reference, sin, reference them on him. This, this point of recognition, this revelation is vital to be truly Christian. You, you can come to church. And not be a Christian. You can sing the songs and not be a Christian. You can go to small groups and Bible studies, and, and you can do. Lots, you can go to sleepouts and help at glass door. You you can do lots of things and not be a Christian. Not be someone who sees who Jesus is and sees who they are and falls at his feet, crying for mercy. That's where the Christian journey starts, every single one of us. Do you notice, in the main, it's not like they've gone to a big event. They're not in some great, great sort of mega-thousand celebration or carries praise up or whatever it is. It's not some kind of amazing thing. It's right there in his place of work. It's effectively at his desk during his lunch break. He sees who Jesus is. He sees who he is. And he hears Jesus calling him. Here's the call, and and, and so often this is the pattern in the Bible. God, so often, these little couplets, all the way through scripture, all the way, there's a command and a promise to back up the command. A command and a promise. Jesus is saying elsewhere, um, come to me. There's the command, come to me. If you're weary and promise, I will give you rest. Or right at the end of Matthews, we know this promise is written on one of our souls, we had it up, but we haven't heard it up. Um, go into all the world, there's the command, go. And surely I will be with you, there's the promise, to undergird the command. So it's often a command and a promise. So there's a command and a promise here, but it's maybe not what you might think. So we often think, and actually the, the, the heading that the, the Editors have put in the Bible here at the top of this passage, slightly misleads, Jesus calls his first disciples. And we sort of think, we might think, if I just ask them to shut the Bible and say, what do you think Jesus said? I wonder whether we'd say, oh, he said, follow me, come and follow me, that's the command. But have a look. That's the second half of verse 10, that, that paragraph just at the end. Jesus said to Simon, here's the command, don't be afraid. In fact, if you look at what Jesus says, he doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, follow me. That's just their natural, I can't help this response. We're told that they follow them, but Jesus doesn't tell them to do that. The command that Jesus gives them is, don't be afraid. Actually, that's just quite a freaky thing, isn't it? Let's think about from Peter's point of view. Because he really does know about fishing. He does know about the whole night, going deep and day shallow. Well, he, knows, he knows that lake like the back of his hand. He knows He knows everything. And here's Jesus just come in and blown everything that he knows out of the world. That's quite scary. I mean, what else can this guy do? If he can, if he can, if he can come into my world and blow it apart, what else can he do? That's, that's quite scary. When I think, you see, if I'm Lord of my life, if I think that life is all about me being in control and something happens that's outside of my control, that's quite scary. And Jesus knows that. He, isn't isn't he he's so good? He knows that. So, what does he say? Don't. You know, I can see you're frightened. I can see this is quite scary. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. When something goes completely the way you wouldn't think, either for good in this case, or for ill, when we when we suffer, when there's a test or a trial, when things don't go our way, or when they massively do go our way, and it's out of our control, then, you know, don't be afraid. Afraid. It's not by the way an invitation, it is a command. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. He knows us. This is what's so good about following Jesus and living for him is he knows us. He, he knows that we'll be frightened if we follow Jesus and become Jesus. The other guy, the other day, someone, someone I was in a uh, meeting with some community people and a um, guy who met him, he met me for the first time. And he said, "Oh, you, you're the vicar, right, you're the local chap." Said, "Yeah." He said, first question. First question. I'm just, I'm just there drinking a drink, looking." First question: Are you one of those Bible thumpers? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I don't actually thump the Bible. <laughs> 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 That's what you're <he> asking. I do that assumption, and you something. oh, and immediately I thought, oh, I, you know, I don't want to be thought of as a I believe in the Bible. That's of course, I, but this 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 collection of books is unbelievable. Uh, Oh, is that how you're going to box me? And I oh I don't want to be and I can, in me I can immediately think oh, you know, I'm withdrawing from being sort of boxed as you know Bible thumper and all the caricatures of, and fear. Fear of what that person makes and go going and tell his wife I'm with that Bible thumper. Fear. Really? If I'm you know, sort of, we, we dress it up as slight disquiet, but it was fear, actually. Fear of what he thinks. And Jesus says to me, Command, don't. Don't fear. What, what is it that you fear if you're weighing up following Jesus into that place, into this new thing, into this new challenge, into somewhere that you've not been before, talking with someone that you've not talked with before. Imagine yourself being someone that you've never imagined yourself being before as it feels like you know, be fearful. Can you name that? Not, not don't, I know you feel the fear, the anxiety, the tightening of your stomach, but what, what is that? What's behind that? Is it conceivable that Jesus is Lord of that too? Don't be afraid, and here's the promise. I'll, I'll make you fish for people. I'll make you fish for people. So Peter, is, he's, he's good these sort of poor fishes instantly swimming around and he can grab them uh, in a net and take them out, clean them up, sort them all out and then sell them on. He's kind of taking from creation and in a sense consuming so that he's got a livelihood. And, and in, on one level there's nothing wrong with that. We're, not, you know, we're all called to make a living. But not, not ultimately, not ultimately. Quite interesting. I, I think if you ask people, you know, why do you why do you work, and you strip it all away, well, I got I got to do something to earn some money to put a roof over my head and food on the table and uh, you know care for and, and um, cater for for those who, who are responsible, you know, to, that I'm responsible for, dependent on me, my wife, family, husband, children, etc. Um, and so I can, you know, I can get on in life. And Jesus says, uh, according to Matthew and his teaching, you know, don't worry, again, don't worry. A bit like, don't fear, don't worry about all these things. The birds, they chase after this. Everyone chases after, oh, have I got enough? And Jesus says, don't worry about all that stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, it's me and my values. And all these promise, here's another thing. Here's another, I've just seen another um, command and promise. Seek first the kingdom of God command and all these things shall be added promise don't worry You, you. I will supply your every need you work first for me Peter here every day he's gone fishing he's gone fishing for himself as it were in, in a noble sense he's gone fishing to catch fish to sort one out to make money so that he can live he has worked essentially for himself when he dropped down the nest here that was the very first time when he he didn't go fishing for himself. He went fishing because Jesus told him to. He wasn't going to go fishing, but because you say so. <laughs> and he drops down his nets and catches a fish. And Jesus is saying, "Look, when you when you work out of a deep sense, when you live out of a deep sense of call, not because you've got to do something or you feel you ought to do something, but because you want to do this for me. When you do whatever you do that I've gifted you to, to do, given you experience and ability to do, but when you do it for me." He, miraculous catch of fish. It's not the only time it happens, in John 21, we hear of another miraculous catch of fish. They've been fishing all night, they don't catch anything, and Jesus says, put your nets over the other side this time. a Little different. Mixing it up, Jesus. And they catch a miraculous fish, they come back in, haven't, the fishermen have not caught any fish, and they come back in eventually, at Jesus' word, they've caught a massive catch of fish, John 21. And what do they see Jesus doing on the shore? Eating fish. Where did the fish come from? If the fisherman hasn't got the fish, how's he to... got Because he's Lord of creation. When will we get it? He's got it all covered. And he invites us to do whatever we do for him. So to Peter, what does that look like? Well, you were fishing for fish. Now I want you to take the same experience and the same skill to go, I'm not gonna make you weird. I'm literally, I'm not going to put you on dry land and make you make furniture. That's not your skill set or your experience. You're brilliant at fishing. So I'm going to I'm going to just increase your ability to fish. But instead of consuming, now I'm going to I'm going to call you to contribute. And Peter became one of the first bishops of Rome. He he led the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he um, he you read his letter. He, uh, unbelievable pastoral heart for men, women and children in his care teachers and pastors and evangelists, he's, he's gathering all, them all in the kingdom net, and he's cleaning them all up and he's sorting them all out, he's pastoring them and releasing them so that they can contribute to the growing kingdom of God. How fulfilling is that? Well, so fulfilling that Peter was prepared to, to be martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. as with each of us, Jesus getting into the boat of our lives, into the familiarity of our lives, and and gently, in a very unextraordinary way, challenging us to follow him and to live for him in every single aspect of our lives. So with your colleagues and neighbours and friends. That's why I'd love to encourage you with these, take one of these cards here. Um, and the idea is... Um, 11.02, Luke 11, verse 2 is the, the bit of the Lord's Prayer that says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. So that's Luke 11, verse 2. There you go, you've learnt the verse today. Uh, and the idea yeah, is that at two minutes past 11, because most of us now, forgive me if you, this doesn't apply, but you find other ways perhaps. Uh, but you just set an alarm. set your alarm for 11.02. It, it pings off whatever you're doing at pretty much this time tomorrow. And it just goes off and it reminds you in the next 21 days to pray for, well up to three people. And there's space just for you to, to write on there. Three people that you would love for Jesus to come into the boat of their lives. And to have a, a powerful transformative word for them. And that's what you're going to pray Jesus, as I've seen you, charity, but I don't know everyone here, I don't know where you, you stand, but insofar as, if I may assume that, that you're here because in some way you've, you've recognised Jesus' voice in your life, and you've responded. Um, you're, you're just paying that forward. Lord, I'd love for that same revelation to come for Asha, or Belinda, or Tom. No, it is. They don't have to be people you know too well. I'm, one of mine is—I've sort of got a slight question mark on mine because he's a guy at the gym, and I so I, I recognise him. We've had a few sort of chats, but I'm still not quite sure what his name. <laughs> so I'm going to find it out. <laughs> but you know, we've had enough chats. I, I feel I've got enough of a connection that I can I can invite him to, to Alpha, or maybe the men's curry, or maybe the opening thing, I mean, whatever the next step is. I'd love, I'd love Alpha personally. That's what I'm going to pray for. So, so that's what I'm going to do with these. Just on uh, this is a little bit of thinking time because the kids are going to join us shortly. So, by way of response, um, to give you a bit of time to, to think. Yeah, um, who would that be? Who's on my mind, in my heart? Maybe they've been on your heart for months and years, or maybe they're just quite new. You've only just met them. Perhaps they're often the easiest people to ask. Actually, funny enough, you've got less to lose. Um, just, just while you're thinking about that. Can I say just a little bit about our Alpha strategy for this term? We're running Alpha in the White Horse for the first four weeks and then we'll be across in the church for the last four weeks. That starts on the 16th of October, finishes on the 4th of December, Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock. And um, the, the idea is that a, a course run by the local church in the local area is for, I believe, the people who are around locally. They might work locally, stay on after work, or they live locally. And I had a gathering of people, actually I invited about 50 people, not, not everyone could come. But in the summer I, had, I, had, I just drew a line from that church, and I drew a line that was within a, a mile of the church of people, according to the database, live. And I said, look guys, we're probably one of the most local Alpha courses, so why don't you consider praying for one um, well, or two or three people who live locally, or work locally, to come to your local course? Um, but here's the thing: most of it, particularly the five, we we we, so we we're, we've got a we are a church with have gathered, a local concern, Parsons Green in South London. But the reality is that most of our congregation don't live in the community. Bless them, a lot of our younger guys can't afford to live there. You know, it's, it's a bit cheaper live in Tooting or Southfields or Battersea or, or something like that. And so a number jump on the tube with us and, and come to us. they, they gather from. Further afield. So they live, let's say, in Southfields and they work, let's say, um, in uh, Blackfriars and they've got two or three people that would, they could easily buy the this. but they all live in Shoreditch. And they commute in from the other side. So it's not particularly strategic. If I live in Southfields and I work in Blackfriars and my, my mates, these guys, live in Shoreditch, to say, like, oh, would you like to come to our course all the way in Parsons Green? So I'm doing it yeah. the wrong way around for you, not it? Shoreditch is there for you and Parsons Green <laughs> It doesn't make sense, does it? So here's the challenge. Because you see, what happens, and if I'm honest, one or two people have been honest enough in the past, So like when we've done the Alpha theme, they go, ah, oh, right, well, I'm off the hook. Because I live here, and I work there, and I do So Alpha roots and ease is not so, boom, just go. It's not that I'm not into Alpha. It's not that I'm not into sharing my faith with others. It's just, Alpha roots and ease doesn't work for me. It, it, it wouldn't be strategic. And I totally see that. Ha! We're not off the hook. Because <laughs> Alpha is run all over the place. And they've got a brilliant website. So you just jump on the website and you say, um, where do, where's the nearest place Alpha course to Shoreditch? And what you do is you pray to your guys and maybe your kind of obedience to Jesus, the, the next step for you, is to go with whoever you're praying with to their course in Shoreditch or Southfield or Battersea or wherever it is. So every single one of us is involved in Alpha, whether it's locally here or whether it's wherever is strategic in this city. Every single one of us can take this card, write those names, and pray for people to hear the voice of Jesus. My time is up. Cara, I don't know that you've left everything, but uh, <laughs> you've left a lot. It's sacrificial to be doing what you do. Come and come and join me here. You've got you've got your mic, uh, and um, well, I'm going to going to sit down. You you carry on. Uh, but we'd love to hear from you. How you came to know the Lord personally. So, I, I, I Let me just pray just okay. to be uh, here. Well, thank you so much for Carla. We love that uh, you have called her to be where she is right now, exercising this ministry with uh, Marcus and Little Caspian at home. And so we pray for her as she speaks to us, as she tells us um, your story in her life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Tim. As Tim said, I'm one of the curates here and um, I've got my art plates on. I will have for the next three years, um, but it's great to be here. And I've really enjoyed um, chatting to some of you and hearing some of your stories um, the last month or so. And Tim's asked me to share a little bit of my story. And there's like 30 plus years um, to share, but I've got my... This is my story in a nutshell, basically. Um, So I was born in Surrey, um, not too far from here, in a place called Byfleet near Woking. And um, I didn't grow up going to church or ever be encouraged to follow Jesus. Um, My parents weren't anti-faith or Jesus, but they just never really encouraged it. Um, My mum had grown up going to church. Um, I think she was of that generation where at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, they wanted to get the kids out of the house. They sent them um, to their local Sunday school. And um, my dad um, still says he's an atheist, but, well... A, he's the most Christian atheist I know, but um, he has quite a complicated story, and um, I'll tell you a little bit more um, about him when I speak in a few weeks' time. So I went to a Church of England primary school. um, The vicar used to come in and do assemblies, and they were obviously good, because um, a friend um, and I went to, um, we used to cycle across the village when I was about nine um, to the the, um, church, where and we used to colour in disciples, and these lovely old ladies basically just used to give us biscuits and ask us about how our week had gone. And going there was obviously more fun than doing anything else, so that's what I did every Sunday morning for years. And I was also part of the girls' brigade um, in the local Methodist church, so I split my time between church parades at the Methodist church and the Church of England church colouring in disciples on a Sunday morning, so I had a fun life when I was nine. Um, and then, um, as many of you um, that have worked with young people will know, um, I went to secondary school, and I just drifted, really. The friend that I'd always gone to um, Sunday school with stopped coming, we went to separate schools, and I just stopped going to church. It, um, whether it was homework, whether church wasn't cool call anymore, um, for, for whatever reason, I just um, stopped going. And um, as many of you that work within people know, you can get dragged in all different directions. And this is what happened to me. I just stopped going to church. My friend went to a different secondary school. And also, my home life um, at the time was a little bit tough. My mum and dad um, bought their house um, for 14000 I mean, that's unheard of now, isn't it? Um, and, but, the, but at the time, mortgage, mortgage rates were like 14%. Um, so they were working three jobs just to um, give us what we needed. And so my mum um, worked evenings, and um, so I was just left at home with my dad. He just didn't really know how to relate to this um, you know, child that had just gone to secondary school. And so we kind of existed under the same roof, but we didn't really talk to each other. And um, I was just desperate to have my mum around. Um, but something at the time in my life was obviously missing. Whether the transition from primary school to secondary school um, had just been really difficult or whether I missed my mum and I just wanted her around in the evenings. I just had some kind of void that I desperately wanted to fill. But nothing would fill it. I tried playing up at school. I wasn't sure whether to join the goth crowd, the Chad crowd. But I ended up getting in with the wrong crowd. And um, I just tried to fit in with them and I got up to all kinds of things. They were drinking and staying out late, and it wasn't who I really was, but I just was so desperate to fit in with them that I just did it. And yeah, I disobeyed my parents, and it doesn't sound that bad, but at the time, I think my parents were pulling their hair out. Um, yeah, I just didn't know where I belonged really, and I was desperate to fit in somewhere. And one lunchtime, I saw a poster that said Christian Union, and um, I decided to go just to get out of the cold. Eat my lunch, and um, there were four other people there, and they were friendly and kind. And actually, I thought this this is a place where I feel I belong. And then a youth worker from our local from the local Baptist church started to come into school, and he led assemblies, and he began to lead the Christian Union, and he was just full of joy and brilliant. And he told us about Jesus, and I'd heard about Jesus, but nobody had actually told me exactly what Jesus had come to do and how it could impact me and my life. And I was still playing up at school. And um, after a few months of this youth youth worker getting to know me, um, he just encouraged me to go home and read Mark's gospel. And um, so one evening I just sat in my room and I opened my Bible and I read Mark's gospel. And I remember feeling that I wanted to follow this Jesus. That had been written about. I was so impacted by the fact that he knew what it was like to come to earth and live life as we live it, and he had suffered the most painful death and taken my sin on his shoulders. And I just want to show you a little visual about, about what happened. So I was in my room reading the Bible, and I, well, I kind of played up in school. I kind of lied to my parents, I was like mucking around in class. I was staying out late and lots of other things that basically I don't really want to talk about here. Um, And um, yeah, I just went home and I read Mark's gospel that evening and I read what Jesus had done for me on the cross. And (laughs) I just remember thinking what an amazing guy this Jesus was. And I want to follow him. And all the stuff that I'd done wrong, I didn't want to keep doing anymore. In fact, I wanted to live my life in the way that he wanted, and I wanted to follow him. And life basically just became a lot clearer. I decided I didn't want to muck around anymore and get involved in all the dark, black stuff that I'd been filling my life with I knew I wanted to turn away from sin and towards the light. And life got loads better. Um, Not overnight, like, you know, I still struggled a bit, but I felt I had hope. I could see life more clearly. The Christian union started to grow, and our four grew from four to 40 in four years. And we went away every summer to a place in Devon, and these times were really special formational times. This was a very special Christian community to me. And we were a really close-knit group of friends. And um, I started going back to church, and my friends that I'd kind of made in school then started to want to come to the Christian Union, and the Christian Union just kept growing. Um, and looking back, the night I read Mark's Gospel in my room changed the whole course of my life. And the time came to work out um, what I wanted to do with my life, and I decided that I wanted to work with young people in the same way that this youth worker had spent a lot of time with me and so I kind of asked him what I needed to do and I got a place at Bible College to do youth work and theology and um, I decided that I wanted to defer and work for the YMCA in Guildford for a year and work with young people there, which is what I did. And just as I moved out of home and moved to Guildford, my Nan died very suddenly and she was a real pillar in our family. And it hit me really hard. I went through a really um, bad, um, like, bout of anxiety and depression. And um, when Jesus said to his disciples, I will never leave you, um, this has really proved true um, for me on, like, a number of occasions. Not only is Jesus here with us um, through whatever we go through, but the Christian community is there. Um, No matter where I am in the world, I have brothers and sisters and a community that I'm part of and a bigger family and that's always been a huge comfort to me and I bottled up that anxiety for a few months and eventually it just um, came out and like my Christian brothers and sisters um, really gathered around me and supported me and just lifted me out of the pit really and um, yeah, the support of the Christian community wherever I am in the world has just um, helped me live out my faith day to day and that's been an invaluable part of um, my walk. And there's obviously a lot more to my story. Each part of my life is a very long story in itself, and I'd love to share more. Um, How I came to wear my dog collar is a big part of that, um, but that's a story for another day. Um, But I'm married to Marcus. I have a little boy called Caspian. I'm a curate. Um, But first and foremost, I'm a disciple, and I'm working out what it means to follow Jesus every day, wherever I am. That's my story.